Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 287 preview show. My name is Carl Birmage and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the crocker to my tubs. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. You got me. You, you April fools me again. I thought this was WrestleMania, but oh well. I, I'd rather talk about UFC and uh, I, I'll still be the Kevin Owens to your Sami Zayn. Very topical as well. Do you think they're going to get it done? I really hope so. I love Kevin Steen. Yeah. Well, obviously, by the time that this goes out, we will obviously know the results. So you can either laugh at what Joe says or you can think, yeah, he was right on the <laughs> nose there. It's one of the sort of hazards that come with uh, pre-recording because, trust me, we have been caught out so many times when it comes to card order, uh, cancellations that happened overnight. Honestly, with it being April the 1st, I am fully expecting there to be countless Alex Pereira withdrawals from the fight or Israel Adesanya gets... I don't know, eaten by dogs or something like that. I am fully expecting it. Tony Ferguson got hurt on April 1st against uh, the Habib fight in Brooklyn. And everybody and, thought it was an April Fool's. Yeah, I waited until midnight and Ariel Hawani said, it's April 2nd, Tony Ferguson's still hurt. And I just went to lunch and yelled in like the my garage with my best friend, smoking a cigarette for like 30, 40 minutes. But we did get main event Ali Akinta. Very true. We are here to talk about UFC 287 though, and it's a bit of an historic moment as well for the UFC. We're going back to Miami for the first time since 2002 for a numbered event. So the last one was at UFC 42. Now I've done a little bit of research to sort of really highlight to people the passage of time since those two events took place. So UFC 42, we had Matt Hughes defending his title against Sean Shirk, the welterweight title in the main event. The core man was Pete Spratt versus Robbie Lawler. And the commentators for this one, Mike Goldberg, you come to expect, his color commentator, Bill Baroni. Now that's an awkward wow. one to think about now. Yeah, no comment on that one. Uh, wow, <laughs> that's wild, actually. I think it's safe to say we've come a long way since the last Miami card. Yeah, I think it's been a long, yeah, <laughs> time... The passage of time has passed for sure. Um, well, obviously, we'll get into UFC 287 in a lot more detail later on in the show. We're going to break down the five main card fights as well as touching on the prelims. Before we do, though, we're going to talk about another place which is going to be hosting its first UFC event for a long time. It's been announced UFC 289 is going to be taking place in Canada. So it's the first event to take place there since 2019. The last pay-per-view was UFC 240, which is Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar. Um, I will say though, Joe, bearing in mind International Fight Week's just around the corner, we're hearing a lot of rumours regarding that card, we're hearing a lot of rumours regarding UFC 291, which could be taking place in London again, it already feels like 289 is a bit of an afterthought. That's the one, in, it's in June, isn't it? That's June. My, the June card, I have the worst luck on my birthday month, the June card is never, like, stacked. Yeah. Are you a little bit concerned, especially when it comes to the Canadian fans, because... We often get this impression sometimes that international fans usually get the short straw when it comes to big stacked cards. And Absolutely. Kind of the first card in four years, and I just get this awful feeling that they're going to be a bit shortchanged again. Yeah, I think they're going to. They're, I think they're the best crowd, probably. Oh, like, Canadian I think it's fans like, are fantastic. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the, uh, the Canada crowd or the Aussie crowd are probably the best crowds, probably, like, overall. Um I think America, you just kind of depends on where you go. We're so big. We go all over the country. So it kind of depends on where you go is how good the crowd is. Mexico is 
bad. And I think Brazil's with that lat with the the January pay per view really disappointed me. And London's always great, but it, it feels like it's hard to get guys to fly overseas sometimes, and that's kind of the problem with the Aussie cards as well. Um, so like their cards just aren't as like you know they're never as stacked. And Canada was like one of the few like international places we went to where. It's like, okay, we're going to put a George fight on. Maybe because he was Canadian. But, um, you know, like, we, we're going to put a George fight on, which is you are already instantly, like, must-see TV. Yeah. And there was a good time as well when, like, Max Holloway headlined a lot of Canada cards as well. Mm. They never, like, pushed him as, like, a megastar. But, like, the hardcore fans knew what was up because it's, it's Max Holloway. We got to watch it. Yeah. You, know, you never know what he's going to do. Like, 231, the Ortega card. That's, that's one of my oh. favorite pay-per-views. I love that card. That card is really good. Yeah. They've had just tons of, like, awesome cards throughout the years. Like, they'll go to uh, Ontario. They'll go to Quebec. And, like, those cards are fantastic almost every time. Yeah. And then they can look forward uh, in June to, what, Nunes versus Pennington 2? I think they're going to do that or Pena. Yeah, 3. I think they're going to do a Nunes card for sure, though. Well, we'll see how that turns out. Um, I'm not optimistic, I have to be said. But that's... For another time, we're here to talk about UFC 287. And uh, the best place to start, of course, is the prelims. Now, you can see those on your screen right now. I have to say that I was looking through this card originally, and I thought there isn't really all that much going on here. And then I looked at it in a lot more detail, and I realized this is a sneaky good prelims here. Now, obviously, a lot of prospects, a lot of names that might be big stars in the future on this undercard. But the fight that really takes my interest is the prelim headliner which is a proper old-school middleweight veteran battle. Kelvin Gastelum finally returning to action, and he's taking on, like, perennial boy material Chris Curtis. I think this has potential to be a really fun fight. Absolutely. Chris Curtis could even graduate a boy stable if, like, he gets kind of hot enough. Um, I think uh, he had trouble kind of, like, pinning down Hermanson, which, you know, led him to lose that fight. But, man, like, and Gastelum was nearly graduating from the boys' table at one point. That fight sounds amazing. I think that fight should have been the opener for the main card, uh, honestly. Like, I know there was a little bit of controversy with them switching it and not telling the fighters until much later. I know Gastelum and Chris Curtis complained about it. But I thought this should have opened it up, too, in terms of a, like a quality matchup. But, you know, they, they want to push their new, their new little Shiny product. Shiny toy. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of how it is. And I want to but stress this fight as well. is awesome. And I want to stress as well that the card order we're using here is the most recent one, which was done by um, Marcel Dorf, who is a big mm. contributor to the MMA community. So this is based off what he believes the card order to be at this moment in time. So this may change. It did last month with the whole Casey O'Neill Jennifer Meyer fight, which ended up getting bumped up. Um, I agree though. Uh, Gaslam versus Curtis, I think potentially a very good fight. Um, and a bit of a make-or-break moment for Kelvin, because he had his moment in the sun. He pushed Adesanya all the way in that fantastic fight at 2 uh, 36. And mm. I don't know if it was like a lucky run of form, because he fought a lot of guys who were maybe sort of like the veterans of uh, middleweight, and he sort of took advantage of that. But he's been sliding down the pecking order a lot more, and sometimes you get to the stage where you think, is it maybe worth the UFC keeping around? It's um, a bit of a make-or-break moment for him. Yeah, I think he it's like one of those things where if you're going to fight a veteran, you know, like if you're if you're offered a bunch of veterans in a division, you you kind of have to say yes. It's not like you can kind of it's kind of I feel like it's kind of rough to pick and choose your opponents on the way up. 
Um, but he he took care of him the way he should have. I think like the really close one was Jacare, who was still considered like a top three guy at that time when he beat him. And uh, then, you know, he nearly got a title shot if it wasn't for, I think it wasn't the diverticulitis. It was uh, an intent, it was a, a midsection injury or whatever to, uh, uh, to Robert Whitaker. Yeah. And like he, I thought that fight sounded amazing and they did fight later on, but Whitaker got a lot better. Whereas it seems like, I, I don't want to say he got worse, but something happened. Because it just isn't it isn't the same anymore for him. But there's moments where I go, oh, that's here he is again. You know, uh, I thought he looked, uh, I thought he looked pretty good against Cannoneer. I thought he actually did a really good job against Cannoneer. Uh, dare I say, almost, I, I kind of still think he could. The argument for him winning is is there for sure. But um, you know, I mean, I there's a couple of like really good fights out there for him. If he does well here, I, I don't know if I would necessarily cut him, but I think you can almost put him in like a a Drew Dober-esque situation. Any other fights on the prelims that take your interest? Uh, Michelle Watterson versus uh, Pinheiro sounds kind of fun, uh, but mostly because I uh, I unabashedly love Michelle Watterson. Not for her fighting, <laughs> necessarily, but um, in case my girlfriend calls, I, I think she's just fun to watch. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Chris Barnett, I think, is also like just a barrel of fun, and he's in a winnable fight against Chase Sermon, so that's always good. And uh, your boy G three's on the card. He is taking on uh, Joe Pfeiffer. Be like Joe. He was the um, bit of the Dana White darling when he was on the Contender series, and oh yeah, being rewarded with a veteran name here. I, I don't know why. I've just always had a soft spot for Gerald. I think that I think maybe it's because he's like I've never seen a fighter move as slowly as what he does. Yet he's still able to pull out these really impressive wins, like beating Muradov. That was, like, that was one of the like more one of the more underrated upsets of that year. He he is like a super slow meat and potatoes kind of fighter with a legitimate like pretty solid grappling game, but uh, just very meat and potatoes esque. And it's just kind of fun. Like you, I, I, I those guys who aren't flashy, I find myself going. But like just honest hard worker, I got it's hard not to root for. Like he's awesome. Um, other guys that are of interest here. Now, Michael Chiesa is scheduled to be on the card. Now, he was supposed to fight the Leech. Unfortunately, the Leech ended up pulling out. There was a rumor that the UFC tried to bring Kevin Lee back and do a rematch between Lee and Chiesa. And Chiesa turned down the fight. And there was a lot of sort of he said, she said about it. But Chiesa is still looking for a place on the card. At this moment in time, we don't know who that is. Fingers crossed we can get somebody there. Because I do have a... In terms of a fighting style, I do have an affinity for Michael Chiesa, one of the more mm. one of the more interesting grapplers in that weight class. Another name that catches my eye, and we'll end this before we go on to the main card here. Do you remember back in 2017, Dana White was really propping up Cynthia Calvillo as potentially the face of the UFC strawweight division. I think he had like four fights that year and was really being pushed hard. And yet oh, yeah. here we are, five fight losing streak, she takes on Lupi Godinez. Potentially, she's fighting for a UFC career. I thought she already. I, I thought she already got cut because I knew it was on a five-fight losing streak. It's, you know, it's kind of weird, but here she is. Yeah, and she was pushed super hard by Dana White. They were always taking pictures together and everything like that. And I'm not trying to like spread any rumor, of course, like or any nonsense like that. But she was pushed pretty hard, and then just kind of had a little skid that turned into a bigger and bigger one, and how the mighty have fallen. It's kind of wild. Cause I know there was that they had that deal with body armor 
and they brought mm. like three UFC fighters to sort of like big up the drink. And it was Engano, Cordy Garbrandt. So these were like top five Dana boys. Top five fights at top five fighters at that point. And Calvillo. So they were putting him on the same level as guys who ended up being champions. Oh yeah. Like and it looked like like she was kinda hot, you know. I mean, like, you know, momentum wise, she was doing really well. And then just sometimes it just kinda goes. It could be like a mental thing, you know? Uh sometimes whenever that streak's broken, it's kinda hard to get back. Um but you know, it's kinda I feel kinda it's you feel bad in a way, I feel like, as mean as that sounds. Because at the time those were all Dana White boys that all were something and just is what it is, I guess. Will we be saying the same thing about Raul Rosas in a few years' time? And I bring that up because he is opening up the main card. He's going to be taking on Christian Rodriguez in the Bantamweight division. Now, the betting odds for this one, you have Rosas there at minus 230. And you can get Rodriguez at plus 195. So these are much closer odds than Rosas' UFC debut, which was up against Jay Perrin. Now, before we actually talk about the fight itself... I want to ask a question that always circulates when it comes to Horsas. Should fighters that young be competing in the UFC? <clears throat> um, but what was his what was his record before he was on the contender series? He would have been, I believe, I think it was 4-0 when he fought on the contender series, got to 5-0 when he won that fight. No, yeah. five fights. He's 7-0 now. Yeah, five fights on the regional. 6-0 on the Contender Series, and the 7-0 was when he beat Perrin. Yeah, that's weird to me. I gotta be honest. Um, It's a little weird to me, I think. But at the end of the day, if you're the man, you're the man, I suppose, you know? Um, I don't know, it's just really weird to think of a guy like that. Like, I know, like, uh, Aaron Pico, he kind of feels like the UFC's Aaron Pico right now. Who I I was hearing about Aaron Pico going to be unbeaten, unstoppable champion when he was like 16, you know, and uh, he signed a deal I think before his professional fight with Bellator. Like you know, they snatched him up really quick. But I, I, I part of me thinks like the age thing. I, I more so worry about like the immaturity thing is a, a big fear always. Like you hear a lot of like professional athletes that go to the professional level at like 18, 19 years old. And they kind of, you know, they get that big influx of money and then it just, you know, throw their, their life away in a sense. Um, so I always worry about that aspect, but for me, I, I, I more so worry about like experience when it comes to getting into the UFC. Um, that's usually like, like, like my first thing and he has it, you know, relatively, um, I mean, maybe he is the man. Maybe he's the future of this sport and we don't even know it. Or maybe, you know, this is going to be a Sage Northcutt situation. I think the concern I have is it's more to do with sort of the damage that can be done to the body. And I know you expect that in combat sports, but mm. um, I was always of the belief, I spoke to a neurologist about this, and they said that the human, the human brain doesn't develop properly until it reaches sort of 24, 25 years old. So yeah. you've got a kid 18 years old taking damage to the brain. That's obviously going to have big wrong, long-term ramifications, which I think is a, a big concern. But also as well, everyone talks about body mileage. There's a fighter age and a physical age. 
If you're starting mm-hmm. your career at 18 years old, you could be washed and done before you're 30. Oh, yeah. We've seen it thousands of times. Yeah, because like you have someone like Vandy Couture. Vandy fought until he's like late 40s, but he started late. So his fighter age was still quite young, comparatively. And then mm-hmm. you look at someone like Henan Burrell, who had a lot of fights at a very young age, and he was out the UFC by, what, 32, 33 years old? Yeah. Got got beat up by, like, Luke Sanders and stuff by near the end. Um, yeah, it. that's, like, that's the thing I worry about, but, I mean, I think it's just, like, one door. Because I feel like once you... I mean, he's too young to make that decision himself, I think. And plus, because, uh, and, yeah, and plus as well, when you're at 18 years old and you get like a UFC contract on your table and you're thinking mm-hmm. about this sort of like $10,000, $20,000 per fight and an added bonus on top of seven. that, 18 years old, <laughs> that's that's still a ridiculous amount of money. Oh, yeah. It's a crazy amount of money for 18. Um, I, I don't know is like, God, I... I I I, I, tr- I hope I hope I can trust the people around him to make sure he's protected. Like if if he goes out there and gets just leveled, you know, and just something vicious, brutal, Masvidal, Askren esque, I think I think he should take time away to properly heal, you know, and everything like that. Uh, I hope the people around him don't push him into situations where he can get hurt because I always think. One fight, you can do it. You can get a ton of damage done to you, uh, but the long-term damage is usually in multiple fights. And I think taking time away, you know, we talk like the pro wrestling thing. It's like Christian and Edge, you know, Edge or Christian specifically taking time away and then coming back, you know. And uh, but it, it's it's kind of it's a worry, I think. But I just hope it doesn't like hope he doesn't end up a Sage Northcutt kind of thing. The one thing I will say is we know what Dana White's like. Dana White, for all of his flaws, and he does have many of them, he doesn't make rash decisions. If he didn't think that Rosas had something about him, I don't think he would have signed him. I do think there is a a raw talent here. Now, it's going to be Mm -hmm. up to him and his team to obviously try and nurture that and become what the company obviously think he can be. But... Put it this way, I think compared to other 18-year-old fighters, he is definitely, he's got something about him. Yeah, he's definitely, he definitely seems really good. Um, at least for eight, like, go. Um, is he good compared to the pack? Remains to be seen, I think. But good for an 18-year-old? Yes. Yeah, very, very good. And what would you say are the big things that make Rosa stand out? Why are people so excited? He's a really aggressive grappler. Like, uh, whenever he, he gets a guy down... He's just actively looking for a neck. It seems like not not so much limbs, but he's looking for that neck, just to kind of snatch it up and choke a guy out, and uh, or getting aggressive with the ground and pound in there as well. Um, he has like some grappling experience. I saw like I saw like he's like done some you know professional level grappling. Uh, I think he was one in one, but still, I know that shows that you mean like you train just grappling for an extended period of time. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think like his, it's funny enough, like, uh, you know, you had a guy, we had Bo Nickel on the last card. It's like, people are hyped for him. Whereas like, it's kind of funny to think that these grapplers are 
the ones getting all the big kind of like attention and eyes put on them, you know, shows you how good the, the UFC PR machine can be when it really wants to push a grappler. I do find that quite strange as well, because like Dana White's always been quite critical of wrestling heavy fighters. Yet the guys who they seem to be pushing a lot more these days, especially in terms of a prospect perspective, are the people with jujitsu and wrestling based backgrounds. I think maybe he's seen what Cork has been able to do with bringing in these sort of like raw rookie wrestlers and sort of nurturing them into the big stars. I think, I think maybe that's what Dan is trying trying to do with a Bo Nickel or a Raul Rosas. Yeah, I mean, he did it with Ben Askren back in the day. Bellator did. They did, and they obviously the, the, they sort of nurtured AJ McKee into being this... He became champion. He fought his entire career in Bellator, debut through to winning the title. Yeah. His dad is one of the most boring fighters of all time. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> it was at one fight in the UFC and they were like, that fight sucked. You're out. Um, beside having a just unbelievably crazy record. And, um, but like, yeah, he's exciting. Like they kind of helped let him kind of grow and nurture. Uh, the problem with the UFC is that, that they have lead feet. They have lead feet when it comes to like how they push guys, you know, it's a hundred miles an hour or not at all. Like they, they don't give anyone time, you know, this is a two-way dance, though. All the talk has been about Rosas, but I think his opponent, Christian Rodriguez, there's things about him which I do like. So for anybody who doesn't know, so he's 1-1 one one so far in the UFC. So he fought Jonathan Pierce on short notice, and that was up at featherweight. Now, it was a fairly one-sided fight. Pierce ended up winning that one unanimous decision, and then he took on his own short notice fighter. He fought Joshua Weems. And that was the first round Anaconda submission. So one on one so far in the UFC. And I, while I still think that Rosas is going to win this one, I've seen a lot of Christian Rodriguez that makes me think he's worthy of being in the promotion. I quite like him. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think uh, uh, Rodriguez is a scrub at all, which is like kind of what you expect uh, them to give guys like this. You know, they're they're pushed star, future star in making. Um, no, I don't think he's a scrubber, a jobber at all in that sense. And um, he's shown that like he's kind of hard to put away. You know, I mean, he's uh, what's definitely durable, has a good like willpower behind him to to keep going. You know, coming in on short notice, I can just only imagine the gas tank failing, even in a fight where you're not taking a ton of damage, and it's just like, oh my god, where's the way out? You know. And we've seen how good Pierce is as well. Yeah, he's pretty solid for sure, and. So, I mean, like, he definitely has, like, he, he definitely deserves to be here, for sure, in the UFC. I think he could make this a pretty, uh, a lot more of an awkward fight uh, for Rosas, for sure. Uh, it could be pretty funny if that happens, I think. I think it'd be really funny if he, you know, kind of stops this hype train or something. Or at least, like, you know, even though I thought Jared Gordon won, kind of does what Jared Gordon did in defeat to Patty, where it's like, well, there goes that hype. You know, oh, what about Song Kanan? Yeah. Dropped Ian Gary. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's and you know, Ian Gary's on like overtime mode with him talking, just like he's talking up every storm in the planet just to kind of build any of that momentum back. You know, oh, I'll knock Leon Edwards out. Okay, weirdo. Um, <laughs> so like it'd be kind of like it definitely could happen, you know. Uh, I, I, I don't think this is a blowout one sided. At least on paper, 
Um, and I'm kind of with you. I am picking Rosas to win, but my I think Rodriguez. I hope if I hope with a loss he's still here because you know it's definitely going to be interesting to see him again on a full training camp. But both guys have full training camps, yeah. so that that's that's an interesting aspect of this fight to me. And he has some tools which I am interested by. I think his striking is very good. If you look through mm-hmm. his overhand right, he caught Pierce with it a couple of times, so I think that's maybe a weapon that he can maybe look to exploit with Rosas because, yes, Rosas has been quite dominant with his grappling, but it's the test that we always want to see from these young prospectors how they can handle adversity. If Rosas does start getting hurt by a couple of these strikes, is he able to handle them? Where I think the big X factor is going to be, though, is I don't think Rodriguez has the best grappling defense. I think yeah. he gives up takedowns a little bit too easy. Now, that can play into his advantage because he is very good at um, locking up like guillotines, anaconda shocks. Um, so I think that's maybe like a weapon that he may be trying to exploit, allow Rosas to try and take him down and then lock it in. But it's mm-hmm. a big risk to play when you've got a guy like Rosas who we know is so gung-ho when it comes to grappling. Oh, yeah. I think Rodriguez is a good front headlock. That's like the big thing that I yes. saw is uh, his front headlock control. He'll go to a guillotine, but uh, he also knows when to kind of strike, when to kind of con- how to control, and when to kind of look for like a neck if he has to. And I think that's an interesting aspect in it. Like he does get taken down, but if he does get the front headlock uh, and stops the takedown, which we've seen, you know, he can definitely snatch a neck and, you know, have, have his uh, Yo Adrian moment for sure in the ring. Uh, I am going to be picking Rosas to win this one. Mm-hmm. My big question is, how is it going to happen? Because I think Rodriguez does have the skills on the ground to maybe try and survive to a unanimous decision. But I'm going to lean towards Rosas getting it done. I'm going to say either late second round or in the third. I think eventually mm-hmm. that pressure is just going to wilt Rodriguez. Yeah, it's it's exhausting. It's exhausting having a guy just kind of run at you like that. And uh, uh, a young guy with, like, all the cardio in the world, they say, running at you, doing that over and over, could, could get exhausting, uh, that pressure. I, I think it'll be in the later half of the fight, but I'm going second-round stoppage. Um, I think if he does stop him, it's most likely a submission. But I could see just, you know, if he can't get a neck, him just kind of pounding away and just adding up, adding up, adding up. And, you know, here we are. Fight number two, and it's two uh, regular fixtures when it comes to pay-per-views and main cards. It's Kevin Holland taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio, your boy, in the welterweight division. Betting odds for this one, you can get Kevin Holland at a minus 280 favourite. Ponzinibbio comes in at plus 235. Now, with Kevin Holland, he comes into this fight off arguably one of the most entertaining fights of last year when he fought Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, which was a fight night main event in front of a crowd, so no apex show for him. Very entertaining stuff, but with that being said, did that fight kind of confirm with Kevin Holland that he no longer wants to pursue maybe being the best fighter and just wants to be the most entertaining? Has Has he committed to that role of just being an action fighter? Yeah, the Hollands just want to have fun, um, they say. And uh, <laughs> what a terrible song to make a reference to. But well, it's, a, um, it's a good song. It's just, it was a it bad is a good song, line. yeah. Oh, it was awful. I don't know why I thought of it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I kind of seems like it. Um, you know, I think he has a really sour taste in his mouth with how that whole Hamzat thing happened with the sport. I think he's just kind of here for fun and money now, you know. 
after that kind of whole mess. Because he was definitely like really complaining about it, contemplated retirement, all this stuff. And, you know, here he then he gets signed to the Wonder Boy fight, which was amazing. The fight is really good. And, uh, you know, just here to have fun. And it's, I'm surprised he's back so early. I don't know how long it takes for a hand injury. But uh, I think that's why this fight was stopped as he broke his hand. He's like, I can't punch anymore. Uh, I'm in trouble. Because um, the point I was sort of trying to imply was that there were times in that fight where Wonderboy would throw a kick, he'd end up getting tripped. And we know that Wonderboy has big weaknesses when it comes to the ground. So Holland, who who I think, I wouldn't say he's an advanced grappler, but he's certainly a step above Wonderboy when it comes to jiu-jitsu and wrestling, that sort of mm. thing. And never at any point did he decide, hey, I'm going to go down to the ground, maybe try and submit him. Yeah, he's a black belt. Like, a, a, It's surprising, but he is a black belt under Travis Luter. So he never tried. He just wanted to like stand up and bang. Yeah, I have to say, Joe, there is a bit of a bug going around. So I'll um, give you all the benefit of the doubt when it comes to uh, coughing and sneezing. I'm bunged up with cold. It's, just it's real windy in Oklahoma right now. We had like 80 mile an hour winds yesterday. And uh, so with that, here comes all the pollen and allergies just wrecking me i went outside for a cigarette before the show and i was fine going out coming back in just been randomly sneezy it's not not fun but it's somewhere as near as bad as it was a couple months ago that was terrible that was and you got a lot of kudos for braving that one through <laughs> yeah it's definitely not as bad it's just kind of like minor annoyances but it's we're good but yeah um it definitely seems like he just wants to bang and like let it loose and have fun which i'm having fun if that's what makes him happy, you know, uh, that that's like the thing is like there's been thousands of I, I saw this the other day talking about players in the, the NBA. And I, I think you can easily apply it to the to MMA. There's been thousands and thousands of fighters in our sport. Only like maybe 100 plus ha, are have been champion. And maybe in the next 20 years, it's only going to be another 100 plus new guys to, to become champion. Um it's the odds of getting into that is pretty, pretty slim, you know, honestly, uh, even if you're the best at everything, you know, how many guys do we talk about? Like, Oh, the best to never be an undisputed champion. Like there's just a Carlos Condens of the world who was never world champion in the UFC. Um, it's kind of like, it's pretty hard to, to get there for sure. And I part the, the competitive guy in me, we'll see what well, kind of goes oh you're just trying to have fun okay like you know then don't then fight other guys that just want to have fun don't fight guys that like want to win a title but at the same time i really can't fault him you know if that's what makes him happy in this sport you know is going out being entertaining making money being a fan favorite because he still relatively is he's not as quite as big as he was as he was in 2020 but uh he's still a pretty good fan favorite and uh he really is almost always a lot of fun unless he just kind of gets laid on and grappled on. Um, you know, he's a blast to watch. And if you are so entertaining and such have such a strong reputation with the fan base, you can almost mm. sort of compensate for the lack of a belt. I mean, obviously Cowboys oh, yeah. going into the hall of fame, which I know there's a lot of people quite divisive on, but even outside of him, you look at people like Chris Lieben, people still talk about Chris yeah. Lieben because of how entertaining he was. Oh, yeah, he's Chris Lieben's awesome, you know, and 
He was just entertaining. Meat and potatoes, big left hand, strong chin, let it rip, you know? And uh, it was awesome. Like, you know, he's had some of the best fights ever. The Akiyama fight is incredible. And even though it's short, the Vanderlei Silva fight's also pretty good. Not, not for me. I love Vanderlei. I know. He was my first favorite fighter. And so uh, people tell me that fight's really good. So that's kind of what I was going off of. I, I don't know about that one personally, but I'm with you. So we've mainly talked about Kevin Holland here. Let's talk about your boy Ponzinibbio. So 29 and 6 record. His last fight, he beat Alex Morono, which was on a main card, which was UFC 282. Uh, now, mm. there was a point when Ponzinibbio was on a 7-5 winning streak. And a lot of people were saying this guy could potentially be a dark horse to maybe go all the way and maybe challenge for the belt. He then has mm. a long layoff. And since then, he's been 2-3 and three since returning to the UFC. And, of course, he ended up getting knocked out by the leech, which was a big upset. Uh, that war with Baeza... Um, I think he lost to Jeff Neal as well. And mm-hmm. he was struggling against Morono and then eventually ended up turning it around. So, Oh, yeah, that great equalizer. Yeah. So what do you think's caused the issues with Ponzinibbio? Why do you think he's maybe not captured that same sort of spark that he did during that run-up? Uh, I think it's, there's two, it's a two-pronged kind of attack. It is, you know, coming back from injuries like that, he was out for years. It wasn't like he was out for, you know, like a couple months, half a year, maybe just one year. He was out for years with it. And then he, you age. Like, it's not like time doesn't stop when you're hurt on the shelf. You, you age. And it slows you down. So an injury that's slowing you down, along with father time slowing you down, it's kind of hard to get back to that 100%, you know, just because you're able to, you know, hit the mats and spar again, start moving again doesn't mean you know even though you feel like pretty good you're, you're not it's not quite the same and uh, i think the fights are kind of telling of that that it's i i think it's going to be almost impossible for him to come back at 100 percent as what he was because i think back in the day he was like one fight away from winning a title you know i think i think he was i think they were going to give him that wonder boy fight if i'm being honest that till got i think they were going to do it not in the uk but i think they were going to give him something and then the winner of that would have gotten that shot against, uh, unless they just kept on that there until Rocket, which I think they could have done those two in London as well. Because um, they did a fight card in Buenos Aires. So that was the only time they ever went to Argentina. He was the main event being in Argentine. And he absolutely demolished Neil Magny. And we all know oh, that yeah. Neil Magny is one of the toughest outs when it comes to this weight class. And yet he just ran straight through him. Yeah, just battered him. Just monster powerful low kicks really good counter grappling and counter wrestling and solid boxing but the big thing is he hits like or he actually has pretty good boxing honestly um but he hits like a truck you know he hits like a monster um he's kind of like uh a no darsh choke no anaconda vicente luque now like is kind of how i would describe him uh how he was back in the day but just with better low kicks. I thought he actually matched up pretty decently against Tyron Woodley back in the day. I thought, oh, if he can stuff takedowns, he can make it kind of a, a nasty little trade in the pocket, right hand for right hand, low kicks to you know slow him down and take away the explosiveness. Uh, but you know, injuries happen. You know, uh, those knees got destroyed. It just is what it is. 
And it was just one after another after another. Not quite Dominic Cruz levels, but it was pretty bad, it seemed like. And um, it's kind of hard for him to come back. That said, I think he's slowly but surely almost getting back to form. I thought his Morono win was pretty good. I think he needed something like that. He was definitely struggling for sure. But he still has that power, still has that great equalizer. Uh, him and Jeff Neal just kind of banged at each other constantly for 50, for 15 minutes. It's surprising that fight, when you say that out loud. That fight's pretty good. But that fight, like when I talk about that fight, it sounds like it's an all-time classic. Uh, but it's just pretty good. Kind of funny how that works out. I, but, think, um, I think the other concern with um, Pontinibio as well is you were mentioning some of these big strengths there. Like, I've listed some mm-hmm. here, which is, I think he's overhand right very good, good left hook, and he'll throw in a couple of teep kicks here and there. The problem is, that's all he does. Like, he yeah. is very limited when it comes to his offense, and I think maybe it's got to the stage as well. Yes, he's not as explosive as he maybe once was, doesn't have the same sort of movement, obviously, with the knee issues, but I don't think he's evolved his offense all that much either. Mm, no, it's just kind of... It's kind of like bare bones head hunting boxing with uh, some low kicks and some front kicks and snap kicks and stuff. And it's kind of it. You know, it's not like he's he's not out there throwing like question mark kicks. He's not throwing like spinning kicks, um, which it's kind of I, I, I definitely can like agree. Like he's just kind of you, you know what's coming. Um, there's a, there's a saying in like a big magic the gathering nerd. There's a saying in that where it's like. This, that's that's dumb. That's stupid. Yeah, that's fine. But sometimes you can't outsmart the hammer, and uh, that's kind of how Ponzi is right now. Is he's he's the hammer. Sometimes you can't outsmart him. You know what's coming. You sometimes you still get leveled with it. I think the big X factor when it comes to this fight is going to be footwork. Because one of the things I've mm-hmm. noticed when it comes to Kevin Holland is, if Kevin Holland has the better movement between the two fighters. I actually think Kevin Holland is very good as sort of like a rangy distance striker. And he does carry a lot of power as well. And when he has better movement than his opponents, he's able to sit down on that. And that's obviously how he ended up beating uh, Cowboy Oliveira, Tim Means as well, who maybe are a bit slower, a bit more ponderous than maybe what he is. Buckley. Buckley. Buckley as well. But if a guy has better movement and he can't sort of like sit down and sort of get a read on them, then he starts getting reckless. Then the haymakers start coming and he ends up throwing himself into clinch positions and ends up being taken down. Now, I don't expect Pontinibio to go actively grappling in the way that what someone like a, a Marvin Vittori or a Dirk Brunson would do. But mm. I think if Pontinibio can start frustrating Holland, then that reckless side's going to start coming out. Oh, yeah. I, I think I can see this fight kind of playing out like the Buckley fight, honestly. But, um, you know, Holland using the range because when Holland, whenever Holland wants to be the best, if he had like a decent sprawl, this guy could have been like a top three guy. I think I think his I think his striking is pretty like really good, you know, meat and potatoes kind of fun, just finisher. You know, he's got one. I, I, I don't like watching it except to show it off. But he's like his power translates very well, like in the Jacare fight. That's kind of an insane fight to like think about in hindsight like well he did it like that you know um but yeah i i i i really like him on i I like him on the on the outside range as well Uh, especially with like overhands and left hooks those are the two big 
strikes a Ponzi, those don't have the largest length and range to them necessarily. Um, overhands are always pretty good against a taller guy. I'm imagining Kevin Holland is the taller fighter here. I think so. He's I think it's uh, well, definitely the range, yeah. Oh, for sure the rangier. I think he's like he seems always really tall to me. He seems like the weird like Stefan Struve of welterweight to me, which is unrealistic, of course. But uh, that's what I always my brain always goes to. I actually went to a um, PFL event and uh, Stefan Struve was there on commentary, and you don't realize how big he actually is until you see him in person. Yeah, he's seven foot, isn't he? Seven foot, straight seven. That's insane. Like we we have an NBA team here in Oklahoma and uh, in OKC, and the first time I saw a seven footer, I was stunned. What was the name of the? There was a basketball player. He was something like seven six, seven seven. He was in Space Jam. Um. Oh man, that guy. Not Larry Johnson, but that's one of the guys in Space Jam. Uh. There's. Bradley, was Sean Ming. Bradley. Yes, Sean Bradley, yeah. He was the blue one. <laughs> <laughs> that movie was on last week at uh, my friend's birthday at a, at a bar we went to. INC, the only MMA show to make Space Jam references. They could do an MMA Space Jam, you know, with uh, like Anderson Silva having to train uh, uh, Daffy Duck to do <laughs> elbows from the triangle choke against uh, a Travis Luter, uh, <laughs> a Travis Luter, uh, monster. I would, I would, I, I joke, but I would actually watch that. They I would put John that. Jones in it though. They would put John Jones in it though, which would suck. But I think you could do like, imagine like Robbie Lawler working with like Daffy Duck and the Tasmanian devil. Actually, Robbie Lawler and the Tasmanian devil would be sweet, but yeah, I, I want this movie now. Warner brothers take our idea. We got this. Are you picking Holland to win this one? Yeah, I, I hate picking against the boy, but um, you know, I I just think Holland for me picking against Ponzinibbio is like he just has so many problems. I think like with you know coming back from injury and then being older, I, I would love a Ponzinibbio win here. I love both of these guys. I like Ponzinibbio more, but. I think Holland is just really good at what he does, and I, I think he, I think we're going to have a really fun fight of the night potential here, uh, but a decision win. I think I'm going to have him win by decision. I don't think he can put away Ponzinibbio. Well, if they are going to have fight of the night, then they'll need to surpass fight number three, because this is personally my pick for what could be fight of the night. We're going back to the bantamweight division here, and the number six seed, Rob Font, is going to be taking on Adrian Yanez at number 12. Betting odds for this one, they have Yanez as a minus 180 favorite. You can get Rob Font at plus 155. And the UFC do like doing these kind of matches where they put a veteran up against a rising star, give them a bit of a litmus test and say, are you good enough to potentially be a title challenger? And I think Font versus Yanez fits this bill. I'm really looking forward to this fight. It could be a real sort of striking battle between two guys. I think Yanez maybe the more flashier striker, but you've mentioned mm. meat and potatoes and good fundamentals. You can't get any better than Rob Font and that crew from New England. Oh, that team is so good. That team is so underrated, I think. Um, with him and uh, Calvin Cater, there's someone else too. But yeah, that team is so much fun. I think it's if it's not the Ponzinibbio Holland fight, I think it's more likely. I do agree with you. This is most likely the fight of the night. Because this is 
this is uh, not quite Gaichi Fazayev levels of, oh, what did I do to deserve this in life? But this is really good. This is a super fun, just beat up smash them up. Um, both technical boxers, both have success, you know, with pushing the pace or letting it come to them. Both have just out of nowhere kind of power. Like Rob Font, when you kind of watch his like fight against Cody Garbrandt, you see like or like Marlon Vera or Jose Aldo or Jose Aldo, you kind of see just like kind of putting it together with like bare you know boxing combinations and like a long jab. Um, but then like you know, he'll just, here's a random high kick to Marias or here's a random just leveling of someone out of nowhere. Like his knockout over Mar- like he has three of them. I think it's George Roop. Uh, Marlon Marias and um, Almeida? Thomas Almeida. Yeah, it was Thomas Almeida where he had like a run where he was just knocking out all my like guys I really root for all the time, my boys before I knew what a boy was. Because I, uh, I was looking at Rob Font's um, sort of resume here, some of the fighters that he's, um, that he's beaten over the years. This is a sneaky good portfolio. Like Cody Garbrandt, Marlon Marias. Ricky Samoan, which I think is a win, which has aged very well. Sergio Pettis, yes. Bellator champion now. Very good. Almeida, yeah. back when that still carried a lot of weight. And he also beat Matt mm-hmm. Schnell. That is a really good run of victories. I thought, I admittingly thought he was going to beat Jose Aldo and just win a title. I thought he was just, I thought he was title bound, going to have a strap on his waist by the end of the year. I was really high on the guy. Uh, but... I don't know how to describe it. He he hasn't been getting blasted. He, it, this isn't like a Cody Garbrandt situation where it's like, oh, okay, like you you you've taken too many shots. You're just chinny, you know. Not not you. Sometimes you can't help it. You know, Krokop, He's been chinny since kickboxing, like when he first started. You know, it's that kind of problem of having a small head. You know, with Krokops in in his case, but Font isn't getting knocked out. He's just getting blasted and sent flying across the cage like it's an anime or something. Uh, feels like I'm watching a John Wick movie with how he just hits a guy and they just go flying across. But and he, but he's not getting KO'd. It just seems like it's causing him problems. And I don't know how to describe it because I don't know if that's a durability issue or a, a footwork issue. Like, with he, is he getting is, is every time he's getting hurt and sent flying? Is that like an issue with his footwork? Like, is he off balance when he's taking a shot, and that's part of it? But I don't know. It's really, really weird. Because we'll talk about the Cheeto Vera fight. I think you can sort of apply this as well when he fought Aldo. But the Cheeto one, mm-hmm. especially, I think is a very it's a very strange fight to look back at because obviously you see the two, you see the big knockdowns from Cheeto, you see that sort of sustained attack, especially in the final few seconds of the round, where Cheeto looks like he's on the verge of finishing him. But if you look at the majority of that fight, you look at say I would say eighty percent of that fight, Rob Font's dominating Cheeto, but Cheeto gets the big shots, drops him, gets the sort of sort of sustained damage right at the end of the round. And that's ultimately what decides the match. Mm-hmm. Nearly puts him away. Like it, you know. There's that's a that's like one of those fights where what one the guy who lost and looked like a horror movie afterwards. Like he was destroyed like visually um, after the fight. And Cheeto looks like man, he's been in a fight, I guess. 
but like Font was winning most like like I said like eighty percent of that fight, and then it just two or like three or four times he just got leveled, and it's like oh no, like what is happening? Um, and then like the Aldo fight, if I remember correctly, with the Aldo one. He was like kind of running away with it, and then Aldo blasts him, and it's just kind of the same thing, you know. Aldo nearly gets him, and then Aldo has all this momentum, and I think I mean Aldo I thought was a is just a better fighter than Cheeto at that time. Uh, I mean they fought not that long after or before I think, um, but uh, you know Aldo just kind of put the pressure on him and took that took the momentum from the knockdown and just carried it over to win the rest of the round, and and took a lot of rounds because of that power difference. Um, it's odd. It's it's so weird though. Like he's not getting finished. He clearly has like, you know, a durability problem, I guess. But at the same time, is it a problem? Well, he's never is been it knocked a out. Head movement thing. It's the weirdest thing. I I can't describe. I I I thought about this one for like an, like thirty minutes last night, and I tried talking it out with a friend to try and figure out a way to like describe it. Because durability issue doesn't seem like the problem. I it, maybe it's a, a head movement thing. Maybe when maybe he just doesn't have like the best head movement. Actually, I, he does have good head movement. I know that's a lie. Like he does have good head movement. That's that's why Cheeto Vera went to high kicks was because he couldn't get a read on his head with the punches. So let's talk about Adrian Yanez here. So sixteen and three record, a nine fight winning streak dating back to twenty eighteen. Uh, some of the notable wins which came in the UFC included his most recent one where he beat Tony Kelly, uh, Davy Grant, which was a lot closer of a fight than people remember it being, and also as well yeah. Randy Costa, which I remember, I remember being on Twitter, MMA Twitter, which I, I will say you get good people in MMA Twitter, you get bad people, but on the whole, I think the community is largely positive. And they really got behind Randy Costa versus Adrian Yanez. That sort of became... Everyone talks about, like, the people's main event. But that, like, random Apex fight night, that was the fight. And it delivered as well. It was a fun matchup. It was really good. Like, their build for that fight was really good because it was, like, it was just a random Apex card, like you said. But both of those guys went out of their way to, you know, become friends in the buildup. And we're having, like, Skype calls where they just go, yeah, we're going to try to knock each other out. This is going to be a lot of fun. If I win, I'll buy you a month of Dr. Pepper. If I win, I'll give you a month of your favorite snack. And it was – they had natural charisma. They had a good chemistry. And it just kind of – and then you realize, oh, they're both like really fun fighters. This fight – this is fun, but the fight's going to be even more fun. Like so – and uh, – oh, that fight is so good. That fight is amazing. Um, God, Yanez is amazing. I, I, I'm trying – I'm trying to be very unbiased here. I, I am very, very high on Yanez. Uh, it could be because he's Mexican. I'm willing to leave that to be called out on that. But I think he looks great. I think um, I watched – I didn't watch his debut with the high kick, but I watched his debut – there was no – I watched his third round KO. Um, and I think that one was like the counter right hand. And me and my – you know, because it was in 2020, I remember correctly, me and my best friend were just floored by like how polished this guy looked in his striking – on his second fight, it was like, oh, this guy looks really good. It's at 135. That's the best division. Like, let's see if he can survive the shark tank. And he, you know, his run to get here has been kind of tough. 
you know, I don't know about the Tony Kelly fight necessarily. That felt like punishment booking. Yes. I, I called it out. I called it out in my recap. That felt like, oh, you're going to say some controversial stuff? We're going to let you stand by it, but you got to fight this guy now. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, but the Davy Grant, super tough fight. If you got to fight Davy Grant, you know, no one's doing you any favors with that one, I think. I think that guy is incredibly underrated. And, uh, 11 out of 10 boy material. Like, that guy is just awesome. He's in my stable. Um, oh, yeah. Someone else had him in our stable in the on the community page. I saw that and I was like, good. Fantastic pick. Yeah. And it's a win that's aged really well as well, given what Davey's been uh, doing recently. Yeah. I think that's a really solid win. That's a really good feather in the cap, I think. Um, and then, like, the Randy Costa, like, I mean, I, I think Randy Costa got cut from the UFC. I hope not. But I know he had a little bit of a slump there after that fight. Um, but even then, that's like a, you know, I thought that was a little bit of an awkward matchup for Giannis as well. And he he gutted it out, showed what was up, and, you know, here we are. I mean, I think he's had a pretty good run in this. And this is another just one of these tough, tough fights on the way to moving up the ladder. So and I think he's looked really good in, in for it. You know, really good technical boxer, a ton of power. Uh, willingness to kick, which I, I do like. Um, and just if he has you, if he thinks he has you hurt, get, it's just the fastest finishing combinations in that division, it seems like right now. I think if there's two big concerns when it comes to Yanez, um, first off, I still think his takedown defense is a question mark. Now, Rob Font's not going to test that, in my opinion. I think it's mainly going to be a stand up matchup, but it is something where. I do think if he was ever to fight someone like like an Aljamain Sterling or Murab, I think he could maybe be exposed a little bit there. But the big one which is relevant when it comes to Rob Font, Yanez is a slow starter. Oh, yeah. People have had success pushing the pace with him early with long punches because Yanez is his, probably his best punch is his lead left hook. But I, th- it's, it's, I, I think that's probably one of them is his lead left hook to the body and to the head. But he kind of throws it like this. Like he kind of will almost extend here and come up with it. And it leaves just a lot of open room to counter him and hurt him. Um, Tony Kelly, even but who I thought was getting smoked on, did have some, some success with straight punches down the pipe. Uh, Rob Font – or not Rob Font. <laughs> uh, Randy Costa, as we said had success with straight punches down the pipe uh, early on in the fight because he just came out gunning and running against Yanez uh, just out the gate and had a ton of success with that. Um, I think I think Font's going to pick up on that. I think he can for sure. Um, it's going to be interesting because I think that's his – because like no one's really trying to take him down like you said, but uh, – it, it seems like these long straight punches, you know, while while moving forward, putting the pressure on him, has been kind of successful against him. And Rob Font's really good at that. That we just kind of described Rob Font's game plan in a nutshell. And what's Rob Font's best weapon? A jab. Oh yeah, he's got one of the best jabs right now, for sure. This is a really tough one to call, and I put it this way. I think that if Rob Font had taken this fight, say, a year and a half, two years ago, I would be a lot more confident in him getting the win. But Mm -hmm. 
He's a guy who has fought two five-round fights against Jose Aldo and against um, Cheeto Vera. And he did take a lot of sustained damage in those fights. Now, he's done the right thing by taking a year off, which I recommend a lot of fighters do after they've had sort of like these sort of one-sided heavy defeats. But mm. that plus being 35, maybe his movement starting to slow a little bit. I am leaning towards Yanez, and I'm going to go out on the whim and say Yanez is the first guy to finish Rob Font. Mm. That's... I think... Man, I, I kind of want to take that leap with you and say he finishes him, because I am picking Yanez to win. But I see this fight kind of playing like the Aldo fight, where Font has a lot of success early, then that shot lands. And then Yanez kind of takes over. I think he can finish him. Um, I also like his like body attack, which opens up shots to the head, you know, mixing it up. He has a very good mix up in his punches. So I you know, I'm gonna take that leap. I think Yanez does finish Font here. I forgot he's 35. That kind of pushed it over. And uh I thought he had another fight after the Cheeto Vera fight. He hasn't. And so momentum wise, um, I think that's definitely in Yanez's favor. And what I, and something I want to saying that out loud, I feel like what's gonna happen here is I think because I think Yanez is a top fiver potentially. Not right now, but a future at least for sure, top fiver. Um and I feel like people are going to discredit if he puts him away. I think people are going to discredit this win, which isn't fair at all. But I, th I think he does it. I think he finishes him. Because I always have warning signs. I always get a little bit concerned when a fighter hits 35. Now, I have fighters who have sort of had this Indian summer and continue to be top level beyond that. But usually mm -hmm. for me, 35 is sort of like the cutoff where I start thinking, got to be a little bit careful that this guy maybe isn't what they once were. Yeah, for sure. And I say that, and we've got a 36-year-old taking on a 38-year-old in our core main event here, welterweight division. It's Gilbert Burns <laughs> who's taking on the hometown fighter, Jorge Masvidal, number 5C versus number 12. The betting odds for this one, very one-sided. Gilbert is a minus 435 favorite. You get Masvidal at plus 350. Now, I want to start off before we actually talk about the X's and O's when it comes to this fight. We've been quite critical over the years of the welterweight division. We think that there's a lot of sort of big names and big egos in that weight class. And a lot of people sort of holding their ground and saying, oh, I'm not going to fight X because I want a title fight or I'm not going to fight Y for this reason and so forth. And I think the big beneficiary of this kind of attitude, the diva weight division, I've started calling it, the big beneficiary is Gilbert Burns. Because Gilbert Burns seems oh, yeah. to be the only guy who's saying, eh, stuff what's happening in the title picture, I just want to fight. And he's taking matches against the Neil Magnes and the Jorge Masvidal's of the world. And a lot of people who maybe weren't Gilbert Burns fans, say 12 months ago, uh, 18 months ago, are now because he's willing to be active and not play into the politics game. Oh yeah, no one wanted to fight Hamzat. You know, it's like, oh, this is a risky, loudmouth fighter that if I if I lose, I'm never going to hear the end of it. If I beat him, it doesn't really do much for me, I feel like. So that's kind of what everybody's mindset was on it. And Brent's like, no, I'll do it. Yeah, why not? Is he, is he the man or not? And 
you know, Neil Magny, it feels like never, it feels like no one wants to fight that guy at the top of the division. You know, he's a guy he'll fight mid carters forever and just beat 90% of them. And then it's like, Oh, time to fight a high level guy. No one wants to take that risk. And no one wants to fight wonder boy. It felt like really. And Burns did it. And he's, he's the man. Gilbert Burns is awesome. And he's fighting the biggest diva of them all potentially. Yeah. Uh, so Mr. Masvidal. Yeah. I, I think he's, I think it's him. Uh, Hamzat's a massive diva nowadays. Yep. For sure. Colby. Colby's a big one. Uh, I heard people say to, Usman. And I don't think that's fair. Leon had it to an to extent. But mm. it, at the same time, it was somewhat justified. It was, it was during COVID. Like, yeah. you know, when, like, it's not like, I mean, COVID's still a thing, of course, but, um, you know, I'm not trying to say it isn't, uh, just in, just in case, but, um, no, nah, I mean, like it was, it, no one could travel. Like the world is, the world is opened up a lot more, which allows an international fighter who doesn't live here and or doesn't live in the States to, you know, travel and fight, you know, we had the card in London. That would not, that was not a thing two, three years ago, you know? And now we get it. And so I think it, I, I agree with you. I think it was justified for him. I don't know if it's justified for any of these other guys. Uh, you mentioned there about Jorge Masvidal maybe being a bit of a diva when it comes to this weight class. Now, we were both fans in 2019, and we saw Jorge Masvidal rise from this sort of journeyman fighter, sort of a, sort of a hardcore fan favorite, people who... Like, a lot of fans could see that Jorge Masvidal had something about him, but he was never able to put it together. Then, of course, 2019 mm-hmm. happens. He becomes, like, the biggest star in the sport, arguably. Like, the whole BMF belt was created for him, which you never would have thought oh, the yeah. UFC would have done. Obviously, Weird. the losses have built up. He's on a three-fight losing streak now, so it's the first time he's lost three in a row in his entire career. How much of Jorge Masvidal's star power from 2019 is still there? Or has the bubble fully burst? I think it's pretty close to bursting. I I think this card is going to do good numbers because of Izzy and I think and Masvidal. You know? I think Masvidal still gets eyes on him. I know I have a lot of friends who kind of like MMA. They're never going to hunt it down and watch it. I wouldn't even say casual fans. I feel like they're a little bit below that of... Of uh, oh you're watching fights and I'm around sure but they know who Masvidal is because of the whole street street Jesus like kind of shtick the the flying knee that was all over the internet forever against Ben Askren where he gave him the uh, the family meal instead of the three piece and uh, <laughs> um it, it's just kind of I, I it, it, it he's gonna get those kind of eyes on on a product. At this point, but I think if if he loses this one, it's it's over. You know his big like popularity burst, uh, which is rough to say because you know the despite you know him me calling him a diva and stuff like that, he is very fun and very entertaining and very skilled fighter actually. So it's kind of rough, but you know it is what it is. That spotlight on you sometimes it just things pop. Maybe it's because they fought recently. His popularity right now is similar to the sort of popularity Holly Holm has in 2023. Mm. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. Yeah. Because Holly Holm, 
I, I feels like people forget that she has fought since the Ronda Rousey fight. She's fought since the Misha Tate fight, I should say, because that fight's actually very good. But it's so weird. Like... So let's talk about this fight in a bit more detail here. Let's talk about Gilbert Burns first and foremost, 21-5 record. Mm -hmm. uh, he fought earlier this year. He beat Neil Magny in very one-sided fashion at UFC 283. Uh, other notable wins on his record include uh, Wonderboy Thompson, Tyron Woodley, Damian Meyer, Gunny Nelson, uh, OAM, who of course became a PFL champion, Cowboy Oliveira, former title challenger, and... What is quite interesting to note, though, with Gilbert Burns is even though he has this grappling background, he's always been known as mainly a submission threat first and foremost. Nine submissions and six KOs. So he has really matured and developed into a real potent threat in the stand-up. He has hammers on the end of his the end of his wrists. He hits like a truck. Just he had that. Before he like kind of tightened up his boxing game, he he had that kind of heat at uh, at lightweight because that's so weird to think he fought at lightweight. Both these guys did, but um, like he had that kind of heat. Just he had he had trouble hitting the guy because he wasn't the best striker in the world. But then when he started kind of cleaning himself up and tightening it, you know, he blasted Damian Maya, and I went, "Oh no, this guy figured out how to punch," and like here comes this guy's rise. Um, just superstar finisher. Like I know a lot of people cooled off on him over the, the wonder boy performance. No, this guy is a mega star of excitement. He was one of the big beneficiaries. We talked about Kevin Holland and his like 2020 rise. I would put Gilbert Burns up there as well. Cause he fought on that weird sort of Sao Paulo card with no fans where he beat Maya. Yeah. And then first fight in the apex, he demolished Tyron Woodley and he was going to get the title fight against okay. Usman and then obviously had to pull out. Um, and my personal opinion, and I had a lot of people sort of mock me for this, if that fight had happened at 251, Usman versus Burns, I think Gilbert would have won that. I think those extra think six so months Usman had with Whitman brought his striking up to a level where it sort of neutralized the threat of Gilbert. But I think if that fight mm -hmm. happened in June, July, Gilbert would have won. I think so too. I think Gilbert also punched himself out in their, their fight. I think... He went all in on that KO in the first round because he had him very hurt. It wasn't like he, oh, he just knocked him down. I thought he was going to finish him. And uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like, not on the same level, but the, the Carwin-Lesnar kind of situation. Where I think he punched himself out a little bit. Like he was just so tired that now this jab is starting to hurt. Well, now it's really hurting. Now I'm, I, I think I'm done. You know, I think he put me out with it. I, I think it just kind of added up on top of uh, the cardio failings in that fight. Uh, in terms of Masvidal though, now we talk about Gilbert Burns. He's got 26 fights on his record. Masvidal, this could be fight number 52. This guy has been around for Literally. absolute years. And even though he's, in my opinion, now past his prime, I think he did sort of have that sort of late peak around sort of 2019 time. There are still a lot of traits of Jorge Masvidal, which... I personally give Jorge Masvidal a little bit more of a chance in this fight than what other people do, mainly for his mm -hmm. boxing base. Because if oh, there's yeah. one thing that Gilbert Burns, I think, does have a problem with, it's straights down the middle. I don't think he likes rangier people. I don't think he likes fighters who know how to work behind a jab. And Masvidal's boxing, his fundamentals are up there as some of the very best in this weight class. 
he was considered like the best pure boxer in MMA for a while, for like a good little bit. People were this is back when he was fighting like Benson Henderson and stuff like that. People were talking about like how good his boxing was. Like, oh, he's he's the guy. Like, if you want to get boxing reps in with a guy around that size, like you go hit up Mosvidal. And uh, a lot of people say that's why, like, you know, guys like Dustin Poirier and Colby Covington's boxing has just improved leaps and bounds is because they train with this guy. Um, very good boxer. His deconstruction of Cowboy, who was looking for a welterweight title shot, is incredible. Like, he just comes in and says, I, I have you figured out. I know I'm, how I'm going to punish you. I'm going to put you on your back foot. I'm going to parry your kicks. And I know how your punches are coming in. And I'm faster and a better boxer than you, and just destroyed him, picked him apart. And just a, he he is – this fight is closer than I think people would would say. Like his uh, – Burns is a massive favorite. Um, but this fight's closer for sure. Like because one thing no one talks about is Mosvidal is a very savvy like anti-wrestler type of fighter as well. Um, he has – Really good defensive grappling, I think, like that. Really good with like a, with a, with his wizard, and he even has uh, his fight with Kiesa. You see a lot of his little interesting wrinkles in his like grappling game at like fighting off his back and getting back up to the feet or reversing position. Um, he can't snatch a neck. I don't think he's tapping out Burns this fight, but he can snatch a neck if he uh, if it so comes his way. Um, I think it could be pretty a pretty decent little scramble fest if they hit the ground for about a round or two. Because I remember he fought uh, Damian Meyer, which was the title eliminator. I think it was like two eleven, and Damian Meyer very similar sort of fighter to Gilbert Burns in terms of like the quality of his jujitsu, and mm -hmm. I think the right decision was made. Meyer, in my opinion, deserved to win that fight and did so, but mm. it wasn't like Meyer did anything like. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this here. I'm going in a sort of a bit of an original situation here. You can't say that. Like, Damien Meyer deserved to win the fight, but there wasn't a moment where you thought Damien Meyer is on the verge of winning this fight. Yeah. Uh, that fight's close, I think. Uh, I, I do agree that Meyer won the fight, but, you know, Mosfidal kind of shut down his offense, mm. you know, and kind of made it a stalemate in the clinches and stuff like that, which um, was enough for Maya to get the win, I think, in, like, how the stalemate was. Um, really stopped him from just snatching anything up. Uh, but you know he's he's crafty on uh, off the ground, and one of the best guys. I always preach this. He understands the concept of the open guard close guard matchup. Mosquitol is one of the experts at fighting against southpaws or guys who switch stances. Um, and he's like people used to say he's a like a brawler. Nah, he's actually really smart, really technical on the feet. Um, the, the question is just how long is it going to be on the feet? Yeah. You know? And that's a concern I have as well, because as good as Masvidal's defensive grappling is, and it's sort of like we've highlighted some great examples over the years, I think a big part of the reason why the odds are the way they are is because of the Colby fight. Because yeah. Colby just had his way with him. Outside of that one round where Masvidal rocked him, uh, Colby mm -hmm. just seemed to dominate that matchup. And I think a lot of people are seeing Gilbert Burns grappling base and are thinking he's going to do exactly the same thing. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be similar to the Wonder Boy fight for Gilbert Burns. Yeah, so I and I can imagine he'll a lot strike of, for a little bit and then 
no more of that, you know. And of course, being a Miami against a fighter who's from Miami, I can expect a quite a negative reaction from the crowd. Oh yeah, that's a that's a very vocal group of people in Miami. You know, uh, like their population is very vocal. Like if you see like a Miami Heat game, if a if the Miami Heat are having trouble, or like Miami mm-hmm. University in football, Miami Dolphins, if a team is struggling, they're letting you know. <laughs> with that so, being said uh, though i think the florida crowds like we people like rip on florida and florida crowds that sort of thing when they're negative but when they're positive they're, they're among the very best like that jacksonville card 261 that's up there was one of the one of my favorite shows because of the crowd crowd is their crowd like i'm not saying that they're a bad crowd at all they're actually a pretty good crowd it's funny florida has a such a bad rep as a state <laughs> It's like the the meme to end all memes of uh, for like geography. It feels like is Florida, but no, like they're when it comes to being a crowd, they're a really good crowd, and uh, they're they're just you know very vocal about their support for their guy. So if Mosfidal gets not necessarily laden preyed on, but just get gets out grappled for three rounds, they're gonna be a little upset. You know, if Mosfidal gets KO'd, they're gonna be a little upset. It's just that's their guy. You know, Mosfidal is is Miami in a sense. You think there's a chance of that? Like Gilbert does carry a lot of power, and you could argue the threat of the takedown was what set up Kamaru Usman's knockout. So possibly mm-hmm. similar situation with Gilbert Burns, because we know Gilbert can crack. I think Gilbert Burns hits harder than Mosfidal, or, or hits harder than Usman. I meant, but also Mosfidal. I think he hits just absolute hammers on his hands. Um, I think he can knock him out for sure. Because I I think what got Mosfidal knocked out was the takedowns, and I thought Masvidal was kind of... I thought he was winning the striking pretty easily in, in the second Usman fight. Um, but he was just getting out-wrestled. And I so I think he got a little cocky, because he started kind of smiling and laughing. And uh, then he just... And he was like, all right, he's just... He can't strike with me. He's just... He can only wrestle with me. And then just gets one of the most picture-perfect knockouts of all time. Um, I could kind of see that happening here, you know? Uh... Burns, I think, is a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say he's as tight as Usman can be in the striking. You know, sometimes Usman will throw out, like, this weird bear claw attack like he did against Leon a couple weeks ago. But um, I think Burns can definitely catch Masvidal. He is so explosive with his hand speed as well. Uh, if he lands that big shot like he did on like he did against Hamzat, because we was talking about this, he almost knocked out Hamzat. Like, he almost put him out. Um, if he lands that shot like that, I think Masvidal is going out. Uh, I think that chin has been cracked, and I think it can be cracked again. It's a sad fact of uh, how our brains work with getting concussed like that. It's a little easier every time. And I think it could definitely happen again. But I do think Burns grapples to a decision win. That's the way I'm going as well. I'm going to pick Gilbert Burns to win this one. I think that... I think Kamara Usman may have had the confidence in his striking that he was willing to stand and trade with Masvidal and obviously lead to the knockout, Gilbert's not going to take that mm-hmm. chance. I think he sees a, an easier okay. avenue to a win by taking Masvidal down and sort of grinding him out to a decision. And one question I have, I am going to have a bit of a hot take here. I think Masvidal calls it a day if he was to lose this fight. Because I think Miami is going to be fourth loss in a row and I think that he could potentially say to himself, you know what? I'm okay, I'm okay, so like the pass the torch, going out, thank you very much for all your support, that sort of thing. 
I think I think if he gets finished, he does. I think that's a higher chance if he gets finished. I think if he gets grappled on and laid on, I could see him kind of, you know, discrediting that win by going, "Oh, he didn't even really fight me." Blah blah. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, I tried it. I could see him kind of going that avenue. Um. But. Yeah, I will say though, like, I know Jorge Masvidal's a bit of a but of the uh, joke of the MMA community, but that 2019 run was very impressive, and a lot of people did get caught up in the fanfare. And you mentioned the Ben Askren knockout. One of my sort of most vivid memories of sort of like 2019 was that uh, Ben Askren had that fight night. He headlined the card in Singapore uh, up against Damian Meyer. But that was the week before UFC 244. So Ben Askren's only UFC main event was full of adverts of Jorge Masvidal knocking him out with that knee. And I just thought... That sort of sums up Ben Askren's UFC career in a nutshell. It's I felt so bad for the man. Mm. Uh, he, he don't deserve that. Like, <laughs> oh man, he doesn't deserve to be. But he should have thrown that spinning back fist. That look that was too devastating to be unleashed upon the UFC audiences. That spinning back fist he threw at uh, Damian Maya. I have had a lot of people asking me to do Ben Askren in the UFC years. It's a good one because I – it's shocking how that turned out to me still. In hindsight, I go, well, he did have hip hip surgery, but at the same time I go, but him? Like I thought he was going to come in and just, you know, Ben Askren everybody. Main event time now. We are going up to the middleweight division, and it is Alex Pereira, the UFC champion, taking on Israel Adesanya. It's a rematch, of course, from UFC 281. Uh, Adesanya largely winning the fight for the majority of it. Pereira managed to rally and get that fifth round stoppage and a third win over Adesanya, two in kickboxing and one in MMA. All of them, arguably though, with asterisks. In two cases, Adesanya winning the fight before getting knocked out and losing a decision which many people thought that he ended up winning. Uh, Bookmakers for this one, Adesanya is the slight favourite in this one. You can get him at minus 135. Pereira comes in at plus 115. Before we get to this fight, though, I'm going to ask a bit of a pressing question, a bit of a controversial one, I have to admit this. Is Alex Pereira the most opponent-dependent champion in UFC history? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Bo Nickel said that if he fought Alex Pajeda right now, he'd win. I'm sure he's saying that right now, like as he's waking up. I agree with him. Uh, <laughs> I think he could definitely win. I think if Marvin Vittori fought Fajeda, he's probably becoming champion. He'd be graduating from thousands of boy stables. Uh, I think if Robert Whitaker fought Fajeda, I think he ta- does the same thing and beats him. Uh, I mean, unless his wrestling is leaps and bounds better than his debut, where he got taken down effortlessly. It wasn't Michaelidis? I don't know. Yeah, he just t- he took him down like it was nothing. Like... And just held him down with no, with no threat of getting back up or doing anything from the bottom, if I remember correctly. And then, you know, I saw all the jokes and tweets of, I wonder if he's going to be the kind of kickboxer that comes out with a flying knee. And he did. And it won. <laughs> like, it was perfect. It was so funny. Um, like, that, he, he didn't fight, like, Christoph Yatko. Uh, he fought Sean Str- Or he fought, um, was it Bruno Silva? Bruno yeah, he Silva. fought him instead. Yeah, he fought Bruno Silva instead of Christoph Yatko because 
uh, Vegeta was like, well, you're just going to try and take me down. That's boring. I want to fight someone who's going to actually fight me. And I'm like, oh, he's this kind of guy that's going to just badmouth grapplers, you know, or badmouth people who want to grapple him and try, you know, just fight the guys who want to strike with him. And I think there's a lot of people within the MMA community that maybe have this sort of... They, they sort of have an asterisk next to Alex Pereira because of that reason. They just sort of feel like it's yeah. a bit... I wouldn't say it's Dana White privileged. It's not that extreme. But I do think yeah. that there has been a lot of sort of favoritism to get him this opportunity. Now, credit where it's due, he beat Adesanya. And he beat Sean Strickland yes. as well. So he's beaten good guys and yeah. he obviously deserves the kudos that comes with that. But I think there's harder roads he could have taken to a title fight where maybe some of his failings may have been found out. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he got to avoid a lot of like the true top three guys. That uh, There's a lot of those guys who have nothing more in mind than to just shoot a double on you and let it rip. You know, like Brunson who might fall over himself trying to get the double, but, you know, he, he's going to he's gonna get it. He's going to get on those hips, you know. It's not like Izzy, where Izzy showed he had takedown defense, you know, coming up. Bejeda has shown, like, a zero, for zero, a zero out of ten takedown defense so far. Yeah, and we also saw Adesanya taking him down in that first fight as well, and Izzy's never been known as a grappler. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and I think it's happening again. I think he's. Uh, I think we're going to see Dagestani Israel Adesanya this fight. <laughs> so, obviously, you watched the first fight when it happened back in November. So, I want you obviously got maybe a bit of um, blowback for some of your opinions on that fight. You weren't really as swayed on it in the way that other fans were. Upon rewatch, because obviously we've both done that for researching this, has your opinion changed in this fight? Where do you where do you stand on the first fight now? Yeah, I typically watch a main event if, like, work is slow that Sunday after. I'll typically, you know, like on my lunch break, watch a main event and uh, just kind of, you know, check it out again. Because especially if I still have it, you know, for the pay-per-view. Um, and after re-watching it, I was like, oh, I was so wrong. This fight's actually pretty good. It, it just went – there's some fights that, like, are really good live and that that aren't great you know on rewatch there's fight there's it's like a movie there's some movies i've seen in theaters that are like oh my god this movie was amazing then you watch it at the house and you go wow avatar isn't a really good movie um (laughs) uh to call out james cameron that's my that's my guy i'm calling out today but um yeah i kind of wonder if it was like that for me uh i'm also just a massive israel adesanya hater i'm gonna be professional and break down the fight as uh you know as professionally as i can but uh, i'm not a fan of his at all i i think he wears on me he annoys me and his big talk and his sometimes boring style just drained me uh so it could have been like an emotional thing of why i didn't like it uh, but no that second or their their third fight is actually pretty good uh I, people were saying it was great i don't think it's great um but uh it's really exciting pajeda is making it exciting and izzy it, it, for his to his credit is getting after it at times which he wasn't doing it for against Cannoneer, uh, the second Whitaker fight, or the Vittori fights. So, I'm a little bit in both camps. I don't think it was the five-star classic that some people were presenting it as. But I can't deny I was on the edge of my seat. Like I, I was tense. The real feeling I was having was tense mm-hmm. because you saw Adesanya having a lot of the success, winning the fight. But you 
you still yeah. felt nervous because you knew that Pereira was capable of putting the lights out. And that's where I was a bit like, oh, Izzy, you've got to be careful here. You've got to be careful. Get get off the fence. Get off the fence. That's the sort of feeling I was having. Yeah, because Pajeda's offensive footwork was really good at kind of trying to pin down Izzy. So any of those moments were like, okay, here it is. You know, um, definitely, I, I don't think it's a five-star classic by any means. It's weird. It's like one of those weird moments where I was, I'm kind of surprised I didn't like it when I first watched it. Because uh, I got a lot of heat for that, which is totally fair, I think. Uh, you know, it, I wasn't like outright discredited. People just said, wow, really? I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Like, that's a dumb opinion, I think. Which, you know, I mean, everyone, you can have opinions about my opinions. I think that's totally fair. Uh, but I was wrong on my initial rewatch, uh, for sure. I, I will say, um, it is a tense fight. It's kind of, Beheda kind of feels like a, like a horror movie villain, you know, like, uh, if whenever he starts getting close and starts letting his hands loose, it's like, uh, no, you know, kind of thing. He's a frightening guy in there. But I don't think he's as invulnerable as a lot of people like to paint him out as, because I, obviously we did rewatch that fight. Izzy obviously was getting the upper hand. He was using the grappling, but he was also hurting Pereira on the feet. Of course, it's that moment in the first round where he catches him with the counter right, and he probably stones him yeah. another another five or ten seconds. Adesanya is landing on him and finishing him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he had... Uh, I've heard Izzy fans say that Izzy was closer to finishing the fight than Bejeda was because that stoppage is a little controversial for like some sections of fan base of the fan base. Um, and uh, I think, I, I think they're wrong. I think that stoppage is very good. Uh, I think the, the ref saved Izzy from taking too much punishment um, in that fight. But uh, I think he was also very close to finishing him five, 10 more seconds. It's over. I, I definitely agree with that. Um. I'm going to be interested to see the mindset of Adesanya going into this rematch. And that there's two things I'm really looking at. Firstly, I've seen a lot of social media posts from Adesanya's camp um, for this fight. And Izzy always had a reputation of being quite gangly for the weight class, quite skinny. Yet, we've seen a slow progression of it over the, uh, over the few fights that he's had as middleweight champion. He's a lot bulkier now. And I think he's going to come in here. He obviously saw that he had some success with the grappling against Alex Pereira. And I don't think we're going to be going full Dagestani, but he's definitely going to be trying to make grappling much more of a focus when it comes to this. Oh, yeah. He's going to look to try to bully him in the clinch, you know. Uh, just any way to not get hit by the guy. Because I, I think Izzy's the more technical striker, and I think he is. I think he has a very good mental game up here. Yeah. I think he's kind of unshakable. It seems, at least in there, you know, uh, it, it seems like things get under his skin, uh, you know, like outside of the cage. But when he gets in the cage, there's none of that, you know. Like, you getting under his skin in the press conference before, it's not going to affect him until that bell rings, like, you know, uh, at all in there, it seems like. So I don't, I don't see him being, like, shaken or worried about the Pajeda in there. Um and I think he's the more technical striker. I think he's the more well-rounded or well-rounded fighter in general. Uh, I think he's going to look to pick his spots, try and get takedowns, try and clinch up, and just avoid getting hit as little as possible because he needs to. Like because 
power is the great equalizer, and Pajeda might be the pound for pound hardest hitter ever in our sport. Um, because he just has like freaky power. It 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 is weird. He touches guys, and you it's it's not just that he him, him him touching a guy and they just go out. It's like he hits a guy and their head like goes flying in different directions. But Izzy takes that uppercut and his head just like his back of the head probably hit the cage. He hit him so hard. It is weird how much power this guy has. And I don't know. There is an there is an accusation that some people have when it comes to Alex Pereira, which I'll bring up here. How much of Alex Pereira's success is due to how much bigger he is? Because I've seen pictures uh, of this world. guy outside the cage. There's a picture of him next to Jilton Almeida. And I want to stress, Jilton is one of the smaller heavyweights on the roster. But he was dwarfing Jilton Almeida. He must cut from about, what, 240, 250 to get down to 185. It's I think ridiculous. I think he's like 240, for sure. He's He is a big dude. I've heard people... Uh, what is the term they use? Weight sheet. I think that's the, the term I've, I've heard tossed around at him lately. And I don't think that's fair at all. Uh, if you couldn't safely, uh, then there's a loophole there to yeah. be exploited. So I, I don't buy that criticism. I don't hold that against Alex Pereira. No. It, it seems like his cuts are safe, which is weird. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he shows up looking healthy. He isn't showing up looking like, you know, oh, poor Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett had a, that, that really hard weight cut against Yair Rodriguez. He looked like... Uh, one of the like dwarves in like the Hobbit movies, uh, like a little goblin. Featherweight Connor. Just yeah. Oh, Featherweight Connor looks like a dude that tried fighting a guy at the on-cue by me the other day. Um, like he looked, he looked just emaciated and drugged up. Poor dude. Um, I don't like Connor, but man, I I I feel for those guys who got to do that hard weight cut. As a heavy set man in my late twenties, I could not imagine being told I have to cut weight. Um, in fact, I refuse to. But, uh, yeah, man, I... What's it called? Uh, if, you, if you're healthy at doing it, and it's not, like, a problem, like, Hamzat was, like, a problem, because mm. now we have to question your professionalism in this scenario. Uh, you know, who else was a big... Pig rig Johnny Hendricks, man. You know, it's a problem. Like you can't cut the weight safely, or you know, uh, Darren Till. Aldo Darren Till had like a ton of problems. Hinden Burrell passed out in the weight room. Like it, it wasn't safe for him, you know, because there's those guys who can make the weight, but they just kill themselves doing it, and it's just um, it's a terrible, horrible process. But it doesn't seem like he's having those issues, and it seems like that weight's kind of melting off of him. Um. You know, and it doesn't seem like he's Patty Pimbling it up where he's gaining 200 pounds in between in between fights. Seems like he's just a big lad, and um, I don't think that's a weight cheat at all. I, I I got I forgot who it was who it was that asked me, but someone asked me if I hold it against John Jones. I think it was a guy in the last retro review I did for the Machida John Jones fight. Someone asked me how I felt about John Jones being just significantly bigger longer and stronger than everybody else that that's cheating and uh i said the strength of you know the steroids thing or whatever there's that you can kind of point to but for his length and height 
and you know, and God-given abilities and size and build. I, I can't fault a guy for that. You know, sometimes you win that genetic lottery. Uh, as a guy who's five seven on a good day, you know, uh, it's something. You know, sometimes you lose. You know, I, I know people. I know someone who's four nine. Sometimes you lose, and um, I, I can't fault Pajeda for that. You know, the same way I can't fault Izzy or John Jones for their their size and body styles and types. One of the things I hope to see from Adesanya in this fight is we often bring up uh, Tim Sylvia, power slap aficionado mm-hmm. Tim Sylvia, um, which is another story in itself. But he's always the go-to guy that people think of when it comes to um, sort of fighters who were sort of gung-ho, aggressive knockout artists before they got the belt and then became these mm-hmm. sort of very safe, conservative point fighters because they were... They were more focused on not losing than they were winning. I oh, hope yeah. that, like, Adesanya got that to an extent. He got a lot of criticism for his fights being boring. I hope that him not having that belt sort of maybe relaxes him a bit and we can go back to that sort of style-bending, swashbuckling sort of striking machine he was on the yeah. road up. Do you think maybe we could see maybe a freer Adesanya? Oh, I hope so. I love that term you used. That was a really good descriptive word, the swashbuckling. That's a fantastic one to describe Izzy before he was boring. I mean, I would love that. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be an Izzy fan, but I, uh, I, at the same time, it's more like if he's fun, it's going to make it. I, I won't dislike him, you know, like, if he's fun, you know, it's kind of how it is that like, uh, I just, right now I just don't like him and I think he's boring. So it's like, Oh, okay. Well now I'm a hater. Um, but I would love for him to be exciting again. Um, I, you know, I mean, I I want that. Who does, who wants to watch boring fights? You know, uh, I hope, and I'm sure he'll have more fun loosening up. He looked like he was having the time of his life when he was lighting up Paulo Costa and the Derek Brunson's of the world. Uh, he looked like he was having a blast, and I'm all for spreading joy. So I, I would love it if he was having fun like that again. Money where your mouth is, who's winning this one? I, it's really hard for me to pick, to not pick the guy that's won over 90% of their fights in four and three fights. I, I'm picking Adesanya, who's 0-3. Just, he's 0-3, and I watched all their fights this week. I watched their both their kickboxing matches. And uh, I think he's legitimately won over nine, like, I'm not going to get an exact percentage, but I guess like 90, 92% of their fights. He's won that much of their fights. He's shown he's the better striker. He's been caught and blasted by a man with the greatest equalizer ever in fighting. And it's just kind of those things. But I think this time, because it, it looked like he was almost surprised that how easy it was to take him down in their in their last fight. I, I noticed that when he took him down, he kind of had that look of, you know. Uh, so I think now he's like, well, maybe we should have trained this. Let, let's just take him down again. Like, because uh, he, he is, who's the who's the better mixed martial artist? Izzy. Who's the better fighter? Is kind of the weird, I, you know, mindset this fight seems to be having. But I am picking Izzy. Uh, I would not be shocked if Alex blasts him into oblivion after losing four and a half rounds, though. And that's what I think is going to happen. Maybe not in the four and a half rounds, but 
I'm going to say the same thing I did in the first fight. I think Adesanya is the better of the two fighters. But that X factor and that sort of psychological mindset, because this Alex Pereira is sort of like king of the trolls. He is, he knows how to get under Adesanya's skin. And I think Izzy says that that's not an issue to him. I think deep down, maybe yeah. it is. So I am going to pick Alex Pereira to win this one. And I'm going to think yeah. the same thing's going to happen. Adesanya's going to be the better fighter and then get caught. What I would be interested to see, though, is win or lose. What happens with Alex Pereira? Because he sort of, he's, he's a bit like a Power Rangers monster of the week. His story is completely tied to Adesanya. He got into the sport because of Izzy. He got fast-tracked to the belt because of Izzy. If the Adesanya story was to end, what do we do with him then? Because... Feels like it. Yeah, I'll let you go first. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, because go. let's say he wants to beat Adesanya. He's going to fight mm. Robert Whittaker. And there's no question who's going to win that fight, in my opinion. I think Whittaker's <laughs> just going to take him down and grind him out for 25 minutes. And then... Mm. So, like, the attraction of Alex Pereira is is over. He's, I've, I said this on Twitter a couple of days ago. For me, there aren't Alex Pereira fans. There are Israel Adesanya haters. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, yeah, that I, I, I agree with that. When I saw that, I think I even joked of, like, why are you calling me out? But, no, I, I, I do agree with that sentiment. I'm not an Alex Pereira fan. Uh, I'm not even necessarily rooting for him here. But and it, then and then if weird. if Adesanya was to win, then that's going to be another interesting question as well because you could argue, hey, one win apiece, let's do the trilogy, which the UFC always seemed to run to. Others might say, well, Alex Pereira's had his fun; he got found out. Is there really any value of doing a, a trilogy fight between the two? If you go down that latter route, then. You can't give Robert Whittaker a third fight against Adesanya. And uh, Izzy likes to stay active, so you're possibly looking at um, mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden sort of for when he comes back. Who do you give the belt to? Who do you give the title fight to? Drickus? I guess. I think they do. The, I think they would do the Quintology. The first one I can think of. I think they would do a Quintology if Izzy pulls this off. I think we're going to have like a an almost Moreno Figueredo kind of moment with these two, like where they're just going to keep booking them in fights until, you know, it happens. But it's so, it's weird. It's really weird to me of like how this could go because Alex Pajeda kind of, I kind of have a question of like, how well does his pay-per-views do if he isn't fighting Izzy? That's, that's a big concern as well because his story's so tied to him. Yeah, it's like I think of it in comics, right, is kind of what I was going to say earlier, is it kind of reminds you of like a comic book thing where the Green Goblin is a super popular Spider-Man villain, but now he's fighting Captain America or he's fighting Daredevil. Is he does he still do as well? Does those comics still sell as well? Does the pay-per-view still sell well if he's fighting like a Vittori or a Costa or a actually the Costa fight sounds insane. Anyways, the Whitaker is a Cannoneer-esque kind of guy. Duplessis. Like, do those sell well? Do those do well? Like, or is is the Izzy is the Izzy Pajeda rivalry and then the Izzy star power, is that 
help boosting sales for him. I don't know. It's really weird because he I, I agree with you. He's just so tied to Adesanya. You kind of wonder what happens if you break him up in a sense. Would the motivation even be there to keep going once the Adesanya story's over? I think he is 35. Yeah, I think he want he wants Jamala Hill, and I think I heard him say something like, "I want John Jones at heavyweight too." And I'm like, "Well, you're definitely big enough." Um, but I don't know. I, I think I think if he beats Izzy, I think he's moving weights and just dropping this belt. I think he's, I think he's just gonna go ahead and give Izzy the adoption papers and then move to 205. You know, I think he's gonna just try and you know, make Izzy his son for real this time. Uh, that is a level of pettiness I think I can get behind, though. Um, like, I'd imagine if Izzy retires and becomes, like, the biggest anime YouTuber on the planet, Pajeda is making a YouTube channel and reviewing, like, Cowboy Bebop and Trigun to, like, just come after that king. Like, there's a meme I have on my phone, and I won't say it here because it is not appropriate. But... It is very, very funny. Maybe uh, on Patreon. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> well, I'll send it to you and I'll let you be the judge of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I feel like there. that's like the ultimate hater, Pajeda. If Izzy leaves and becomes really good at something, here comes Pajeda with money in the bank cash in to prove he's better at it. Like it just, it's so funny to me. And on that cheery note, it is all the time we have here for the UFC 287 preview show. Me and Joe, as always, we've had an absolute blast covering this. If you would like to support the channel any way you can, it's patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. We also have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, pretty much all the social medias. No TikTok though. We're we're what? Yeah. We're 30. Yeah, I'm I'm not a 12 year old, you know. Yeah, <laughs> um, and also we've been doing the rounds outside of uh, INC. We've been uh, we had a little bit of a cameo appearance on one of our favorite YouTube channels as well, Joe. Oh yeah, we can't go. I think this is like the longest we've gone without making a reference to OSW, <laughs> uh, and um, you know, because you and me watched them on repeat after you got me into them, <laughs> of course. But we got to be on the ad break questionarium. It was the hypest thing I've done in my short career uh, in YouTube. It was so awesome. I was giggling like a schoolgirl watching that episode and waiting for us to pop up. It was brilliant. Yeah. And the show itself is fantastic. So if you are a fan of ourselves, then please check out OSW's latest video. They're covering uh, TNA and the main event mafia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell them how much you love this too so we can be on it again. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, one last thing before we set off Joe, though, Joe. Um, of course, pay-per-view fight week means a new retro review which is going to be taking place on the main channel. Now, we did mention before that uh, retro reviews, until we get a second editor, retro reviews are going to be Patreon requests only. But we did have one and I think it's safe to say, Joe, We've done quite a few of these, but this is one which we have been eagerly anticipating for a long, long time. So what will you be reviewing on Wednesday? I think this is going to be the most anticipated retro review ever. To me. It is for me. I've, I keep watching it because I got to see it early. I'm special like that. But uh, I would have you join me, but the Skype syncing isn't going to work. So I'll just do it on my own. But bum, 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 bum. 
it is Pride 33. We get to finally do a Pride card. Uh, and it's widely considered to be one of the best cards of all time, one of the best Pride cards of all time. But does it stack up to the retro review rating system? Uh, very well, actually. It's insane. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's very good. It's such a good card. Think uh, about this, Joe. You sat through Pollyanna Viana versus JJ Aldrich, Fabio Maldonado versus Hans Stringer for this. I, it's, you know, it's like I said with the Gaethje Fiziev thing, I must have done something to deserve this. And you, you just laid out why I deserve to, why I deserve to do Pride 33. Because that Pollyanna Viana fight uh, with JJ Aldrich <laughs> is one of the worst things I have done in my life. It was really fun the first time because me and my best friend are, are idiots and we're just like to, we like to joke around and clown around. So we just made fun of the Aldrich name and laughed at a bad fight. Watching it alone in my room, like having the right notes down was the worst thing. I think it took, mul- I think it took multiple days just to watch one fight. Oh no. One day someone's going to make me do like time to watch Carlos Barza Rose Nama Yunus too. <laughs> well, I've had to do that for an upcoming video, so spoiler alert. Oh, no. It's going to be awful. Uh, but hopefully we get to do more Pride cards and more outside of the UFC things because uh, I, I really hope you – know, we have a we have a younger fan base um, for sure, it seems like, in terms of like how long they've been an MMA fan. Um, you have some guys who are like, oh, who's been fans for years and years. Um, and you have some fans who were like, oh, no, I became a fan around X era or whatever. So they might not have seen Pride, and Pride is – incredibly different than the ufc this is probably the best beginner pride card too because they're in america there's no stomps or soccer kicks or knees to the head so it's like like here's a little introduction to the pageantry of pride and you've got quite now, a few names who are quite familiar as well with the american audience you've got like obviously shogun overeem hendo vandalay nick diaz pretty stacked card like honestly you know uh yeah like i i can't imagine when we get to like who knows? Maybe someone will be like, uh, <laughs> uh, retro review this random Bushido where uh, Alberto Del Rio and <laughs> Krokop fight. Like, and then you'll see me get really excited. That was my favorite KO as a kid. Uh, so that is that is something that you can look forward to on the main channel on the Wednesday. Uh, also as well, if you want to commit to INC Live. Now, obviously, there isn't a fight card which is happening this week. So no post-fight recap from Joe. But in return, we do have a special video. Now, we were very excited when this happened. So our interviewer, Julian, has uh, managed to get his second interview with our team here. And it's a pretty big one as well, because as many of us know, Asuka Mazarov was one of the big controversial figures in MMA in the world of 2022. A lot of people believe that he's falsified his record to get into the UFC. A world exclusive here, his first interview since leaving the promotion... Mazarov tells his side of the story. He's doing fantastic numbers so far. It's well worth checking out. Uh, I obviously watched it when I spliced it all together. Joe, have you had a chance to watch it yet? I'm about three quarters of the way done. I, I kept stopping it last night uh, to do, do finish research for this. And uh, admittingly, Resident Evil 4 remake came out last year <laughs> or last week. And um, I grew up on that game, so I'm having that Ratatouille moment where the food critic eats it and gets transported to his childhood with that game. But um, no, it's it's a it's a good length. It's so far really interesting. Gives you a mindset of 
how these other countries kind of, you know, how they kind of operate in a weird way, you know, and uh, I, it's really good so far, you know, Julian's doing fantastic. Yeah. Um, So that is well worth checking out. You can get that on our screen when we get to the end credits. Uh, For now though, I've got myself a meal to get to and I've got uh, two very angry parents who are asking where the hell are you Carl? So I need to be setting off. My name has been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Neal. And we're going to be back next month when Henry Cejudo makes his return, taking on Aljamain Sterling, UFC 288. Bye-bye for now. Biggest head ever.